Welcome everyone to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner, and today my guest is Dr. Jill Carnahan, and we're going to be talking about could mold be causing your symptoms? If you want to learn more about Dr. Jill Carnahan's work in her bio, please check out her website, jillcarnahan.com. I hope you enjoy the podcast today. Welcome, Dr. Jill. It's really honored I get to interview you this time. So, so good to be here with you. Uh, well, I know we've connected over the years and I have a lot of admiration for your work and I just love you know, the information that you put out on your blog continually. And I just share that with patients all the time. And, you know, you really have a wonderful perspective of really the root cause of many of the illnesses that walk in our door today. And, you know, as the title of the talk says, we we think about mold as an underlying cause of many of the chronic symptoms. And that might not be completely new to my audience, but it's still really important to reflect because I still have every now and then those patients where we think we've rolled it out, we think it's not an issue, and then we circle back to it. And lo and behold, it's something that we need to address. So can we just maybe dive in with how you became so passionate about educating people about mold being a root cause of their illness? What a great segue, because what you're describing is there's a little bit in a denial for all of us and including myself, my own story includes about six months of being like, could it probably be mold, but I don't want to deal with it. So I'm not going to yet. There's this piece about that, right? And, and a lot of times we ask patients, you know, have you had any water damage? And I know not to ask, do you have mold in your home? Because 100% of people will say no, unless they know they've had known mold, but generally, no, I don't have any mold in my home. So there's this real insidiousness of this illness because it's usually hidden and it masquerades by other faces. It can masquerade as early dementia or um, word uh, finding difficulty or brain fog or autoimmunity, all kinds of gut issues, of course, mass cell activation syndrome, many, many, many things, even anxiety, depression, insomnia disorders, so mood disorders. So this thing masquerades by many other names and has labels, but what we find often is at the root, often we find mold in someone's house. So my story goes back to Boulder flood 2013, I believe we had a massive, they say a hundred year flood, maybe a thousand year flood where almost the whole city was really underwater. Obviously lots of water saturation of porous materials. My office was on the south side of Boulder and I had a second story office above a crawl space. I didn't know this at the time that had water standing and then below a basement that had had water intrusion multiple times. And um, I started having symptoms the following year, about six months later, and I would have shortness of breath. I'd walk up the stairs with my patients from the lobby and I'd literally have trouble breathing, like having a conversation. And I'd been running like five and 10 Ks competitively. So this was very unusual. I started having rashes. I actually had a hairline kind of receded a little because the rash. I thought it was psoriasis on my scalp and my immune system wasn't functioning well. So I'd have get frequent infections and colds and things, white coating on my tongue, craving for carbs, bloating. So the kind of candida thing. So lots of things that weren't going well. And I had been through Crohn's and cancer decades before, overcame them. I was doing great. So I was very puzzled, but as I started to think and know just enough to be dangerous about mold, I knew that was in the differential, but I kind of denied it for a while because I knew it would either involve home or workplace. It probably would involve a mood for a remediation or something either expensive or traumatic. And it took a while till I finally got sick enough to be like, okay, I have to figure this out. So I had an inspector come. We found bulk stachybotrys in the basement. It was very obviously there. And looking back, I'm sure there was some in the crawl space. And then the funny thing is my contractor threw on some bamboo flooring, new bamboo flooring, beautiful over like 20 year old carpet, which was horrible. Right. And so it's probably like every step I took on the soft bamboo was fluffing up gross, you know, mold in that carpet. So now in hindsight, that was a big mistake 
Wednesday. Bottom line is though, I tested my environment. It was highly positive. I tested my urine. It was highly positive. Same thing. They matched my blood work showed inflammatory syndrome. Um, a lot of the Sears markers and it was clear. So the day I found out the data from the office, I didn't set foot in it again. I really had to leave everything. I sold my office and every I was leasing, but I subleased and left. And, and the landlord was able to do a little, but not enough for my health at that time. So I left and started over. It was very difficult, but in that journey, like all of my other journeys, I was bound and determined to figure out how to get well. And I will say this, Christine, I think you can understand. I've been through cancer, very aggressive, lost all my hair, three drug chemotherapy. This was far worse than cancer. Because cancer people know, and they know you're bald and they know you, and there's such compassion and understanding. And it's a known word. People understand it. Mold illness, people don't get, and you look okay often. Now I still had puffy eyes and stuff, but generally I didn't look like I had cancer. So it's really interesting. And we could even talk about that. The psychological toll of this. I just yesterday had a patient that said, my husband doesn't believe me. And this is common, right? Where they're in a household where their partner doesn't even believe them. So we could talk a little bit about that. And that's trauma and that's difficult, but that's kind of common with mold. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing your story. And, you know, uh, in retrospect, right, you can trust that you were on your journey because look at all the people you're helping. But it, I really appreciate what you said because there is this, you know, denial because there's this overwhelm that you can just see people's eyes glaze yeah. over. They're not ready to hear it. And one of the biggest, you know, obstacles, as we just mentioned, as someone like often the loved one or the partner might not be symptomatic. And so they don't have the understanding that this could actually be causing their loved one's um, illness. And so maybe even just starting there, Jill, about, you know, why are some people sick and other people not in a home that has mold? Yeah, this has been the most confusing thing, even for the medical establishment, because there's this, well, why would, if there's a building that's contaminated with mold, why wouldn't everybody be sick? And it's never that way. So we have these HLA genetics. I think of them like Pac-Man. They're our immune system and they're the sensor signals, the sensor cells, the dendritic cells that basically say, oh, there's a virus, let's attack. There's a bacteria, let's attack. There's a parasite, let's attack. So our system is geared towards identifying dangerous strangers. And when they find a dangerous stranger, then they start to mount the immune response, they mount the troops and they go attack all good, all exactly what we're supposed to do. Um, Patients who have issues with mold often will identify that and start this attack process of inflammation, but they can't tag it and escort it out of the body easily. So they kind of start to attack, but this vicious cycle happens of internal inflammation. We all now know so much about it because of the pandemic, because it's related to the cytokine storm and the cytokines that cause inflammation and mold triggers that. And in some susceptible individuals, they're never eliminating that trigger. They just keep getting triggered and triggered and triggered. And that inflammation in their own body is what causes damage to the nervous system and the immune system and the brain and the kidneys and the lungs and all those things. Now, certainly mycotoxins actually have toxicity of their own, but a lot of the damage and mold-related illness is an overactive immune response. Yeah, no, that's really eloquently put. And, you know, I want to tease out the, like, as you said, like it's multifactorial, right? There's a couple buckets that we're looking at when someone is, you know, struggling with mold. And I think especially, you know, we're all pretty tuned into our immune systems right now with the pandemic and everything. And I find, you know, a handful of my patients, especially the patients who might be more prone to long haulers, you know, they're kind of in this bucket already of this kind of overactive, kind of hyper vigilant uh, immune response. And we sometimes they, 
these um, individuals fit in the mast cell activation spectrum or, or syndrome. You know, I, I see a lot of sensitive patients. So if you could just share your perspective of what's going on with this hypervigilance in their immune system. Yeah. So again, what, what's good to think about is if we go back 30,000 foot view, this is what our immune system is supposed to do to protect us. It's not doing anything totally abnormal. It just gets stuck in a cycle, like the spin cycle on your washing machine and just goes around and around and around. So we have to intervene with our therapies and treatments and stop that. One thing I want to note too, that you said that I think is so relevant, you said hypervigilance. Mm -hmm. So this is absolutely true of our immune system. But what I find to be true is I, at this point in 20 years of practicing functional medicine, I haven't seen one patient with mold or environmental toxicity that doesn't have some piece of trauma or overactive hypervigilant sympathetic nervous system that is already predisposing them to be a little bit on the um, edge as far as overreactive. Now there's nothing wrong with you if you have that, because it was me too. Uh, and it doesn't mean you had horrible trauma with a capital T in your childhood, but we all have little T trauma and many people have big T trauma. And these things actually set us up to be more reactive to mold. And then what I find is when I'm treating the mold related illness, this whole mast cell syndrome is part of that kind of overreactive system. It's a protective system, but again, it's protection that gets out of hand. And when that gets out of hand, it causes collateral damages on our own tissues. So one of the important things is of course, all the herbs and treatments and the energetic things that you do, Christine, I'm so amazed at all how you bring in so many other relevant fields in the healing. And it's critical because a lot of these patients can barely drink water and they're reactive. So we can't give them a lot of pills. We have to go to the calming. So limbic activation is a big key. I know you and I so believe in that. And this is our fight or flight system that gets triggered. So mold is not a trauma trigger as far as like we're afraid, but our subconscious, our amygdala, our sensory fear system still gets triggered from the physiological mold itself. So it's literally like the mold will trigger a PTSD or a, a traumatic response in our bodies. And that can also be part of the mast cell activation because we're overreactive and we're hypervigilant. So in order to heal, part of what you and I do is teach the patients to calm that limbic system. And that can be, um, and I'd love for you to name some things because I'm not all exclusive, but I love cranial sacral therapy. I love some of the um, somatic behavioral therapies, biurnal beats, which is a type of music you can listen to, um, neuro-linguistic programming, and even just some of the protocols out there by, you know, there's a Gupta program and Annie Hopper's program, and there's a Porgy's safe and sound program. So there's a bunch of programs out there that kind of calm any work that we can do with calming our body, letting us feel safe will actually help the mold related illness too. Mm, yeah, no, you named a lot of my favorites and I agree. And this is an emerging field, right? So there's, you yeah. know, more, you know, techniques. And, you know, I had mentioned just before, you know, our call that I just went to Dr. Joe Dispenza and, you know, learning about, you know, really the science of that work. And so not only doing these therapies, but also, you know, he's a big a proponent of this idea of heart brain coherence. And there are, you know, the, the heart talks more to the brain than the brain talks to the heart. Yeah. And, there is this neural connection between the heart and the limbic system. So even getting in these, you know, states of uh, gratitude and love and appreciation, even when you feel like your whole world is yeah, falling apart, apart. <laughs> yeah, taking time, you know, each day, um, you know, and exercising that muscle actually helps to re wire that response. And so I, I think it's, yeah, fascinating. And I'm so glad there are more and more tools and more yeah. and more awareness. Jill, then you, you, we, we get people to get out of fight or flight more or less, right? So we kind of like get them into this kind of safe kind of space and, you know, really give them a lot of tools. And then, and then what are some of your, you know, next go-tos of how you kind of really unwind this kind of over uh, reactivity? 
Got it. And just to frame it real simply, I always think that limbic is really first and you're going to do that the whole treatment. So it's not like that ends, but that has to be addressed in some way, even if it's tiny ways, like knowing that the person's safe or that they have a safe place to live or sleep. So that's first. I always feel like the mast cells next, because you can't really get much treatment protocol until you get the mast cells stabilized. There is a whole bunch of things you can do for this. I'll just name a few. Some of my favorite herbs are perilla extract, Chinese skullcap, quercetin, nettles. So those are all either mast cell stabilizers or antihistamines, and they work very nicely naturally. And you can do combinations of those. And then um, on the next layer, you can go to medications. So H1 blockers, H2 blockers, mast cell stabilizers, things like ketodophan. So those are kind of medication-wise what you can do. Um, and those are helpful to get that mast cell. Um, mast cells are kind of your genetic immune cells. They're older than some of the newer cells that we've developed over the, our, our evolution. And basically those cells are super reactive in this illness often, and they cause rashes and histamine production and pain syndromes, et cetera. So basically limbic system first, and then mast cell. And then next I look at mold. Sometimes there's infections, but I usually look at the mold first because the mold weakens the system and these infections often pop up Lyme and all the co-infections and viruses. Again, you and I both treat these, but sometimes there's cases where if you get them out of the mold and detoxifying, you almost don't need to treat the infections because their immune system comes back online and takes care of them. So I love to do it that stepwise because sometimes you don't need to be real aggressive on their Lyme disease if their immune system is working 100% back to normal. Mm-hmm. So back in this little cubby hole of mold treatment, the basic number one principle, you and I both know you have to get into a place that's at least limited exposure. So you can heal, you have to give margin back to your toxic bucket. So you have to bring the margin, the water level down so that you have a little space left over. And you can't do that. If you're in an environment work or home or anywhere that has a massive exposure, there's no amount of supplements, no amount of sauna or detox or other things you can do if you're continually exposed. So the hardest thing But the most important thing is to remediate or move out or do something to get out of that environment. And again, this is probably hardest for you and for me because I'm not the environmental expert. I've had to learn a lot to be able to advise people. And I usually am pretty close to right on as far as what to for them to do, but you have to get out of the environment. Then after that, we work on detox. And I love um, uh, one of the docs I was talking to talk about pre-tox because it's kind of like these things that we get ready. What you want to do with detox is enhance glutathione production. Now we can give glutathione, but I'm one of those people who did not tolerate it. And I went through my whole detox successfully without, now I can take glutathione, but that was not the first two years. So there are things like glutathione, or sorry, uh, vitamin C or NAC or alpha lipoic acid or selenium or um, precursors like glycine and glutamine that you can give the body to make more glutathione and you can still get that production. Also, I bet you um, often recommend coffee enemas. I think they're great for producing glutathione and castor oil packs and things over the liver. So that glutathione is essential for mobilizing toxins to be excreted. And I think what we as practitioners often do is we can mobilize really well. We can give all these supplements. We can make them have the patient sauna, you know, five times a week. But what happens in my patients, at least is if I mobilize too quickly, they get stuck because they're not excreting. And I have learned the most from my colleagues like you, because you guys, is it called the perfunctories or there's some name for the excretion? Uh, Yeah. The emunctories. Yeah. I'm not not saying the word right. (laughs) I knew I did that wrong. I love it. Exactly. Like, I, that's not part of our training, but it's like what I've learned from you and my colleagues is this excretion, which involves often lymphatic drainage or um, lymphatic massage or dry brushing or sauna or Epsom salt baths or hydrotherapy. Some of the things that, again, 
conventional medicine doesn't really teach, but those are critical because as you're doing the mobilization with the glutathione and then those kind of liver supports crucial. So I almost always use milk thistle or NAC or alpha lipoic acid, and then binders are key too. And there's now so many different kinds out there. I still use mostly clay and charcoal. I find they work really well. They're really safe for most people, but there's many, many things, glycoman and zeolite, so many things out there for binders. Yeah. And you even um, created a mold detox box. You're welcome to share because I, I love how you just kind of put it all together. If people are struggling out there and trying to figure out how to get their detox protocol, maybe not connected with a doctor yet. Can you just share a little bit about what's in there? Sure. And thank you. And that's exactly what happened. I was like, we need something that's simple because we can't see everybody. And a lot of people are struggling. And this is something where you can just get started without a lot of, I mean, granted, you want a physician to help you, but it's kind of an all-in-one, very, very basic. It includes electrolytes because often these patients will drink and pee and they can't maintain hydration. And they're very simple seawater electrolytes. They're really, really gentle and energetically sound. And then it includes a glutathione complex. It also has a little bit of DIM, which helps the liver excrete estrogen and toxins and B vitamins, a little tiny bit of methylated bees. And then it includes a liver product. That's all about milk thistle and um, the NAC and the liver support. And then it does have NAD, which I think is a powerhouse. And we know from the data that NAD is one of those key things that's depleted by toxic exposures and critical for glutathione production. Um, And then finally you have a binder that includes a little bit of clay and charcoal. And so you kind of have it all in one and it makes it easy. It's just molddetoxbox.com if you want to know more. Awesome. Thank you for creating that. And, you know, you mentioned the electrolyte piece, and I think that this is a really common symptom I find in our mold illness patients is that, you know, they're frequently thirsty and they urinate a lot and they're often urinating throughout the night. And so in my understanding, you know, they have low antidiuretic hormone and then they're, you know, chronically dehydrated. And so any clinical insights around that piece? Because I feel like that's a big one for a lot of these patients. It is because if you think about enzymatic and cellular function and you're chronically dehydrated and you can't maintain hydration, you can't detox. So it's actually one of those core pieces. So the first thing I do is electrolytes because usually that will help 20, 30, 40, 50% at least. And it's pretty simple. Most people do better with a higher sodium, moderate potassium. There's a few people that are sodium sensitive. I'm one of those. So I actually need either a one-to-one or a higher potassium to sodium, but that's just because of, I'm a weird canary and I need a different, most people do better with a decent amount of sodium. So I'm looking for a ratio of three to one or five to one or somewhere where the sodium is a little higher because it'll help hold on to the volume in your system. Um, but again, you can trial and error and see which one, some of them are one-to-one and people do very well. You want one with magnesium and some of the basic other things as well as just sodium, potassium, magnesium, calcium. So that's electrolytes. The other thing that you can do, this is funny. It was one of those serendipitous things. I don't really know how we we thought about it, but oxytocin, I remember um, realizing the posterior pituitary had both ADH, which is the hormone that regulates hydration and oxytocin. And I thought, well, why can't we try some oxytocin? I read some little uh, study about diabetes insipidus and I started trying oxytocin on myself first. It worked. And then I started presenting to my colleagues, like you'll hear Mary at Ackerley and some of the other docs. Now, most of us use oxytocin at times because it has other benefits, but um, it was one of those really almost divinely inspired. Like I just remember thinking, I wonder if this would do something. And I tried it and it worked on me. So then I started saying to patients, you know what, if you're willing to try this, it's got other benefits. And um, I feel like it really does help. I don't have a randomized controlled trial or anything huge, but it's easy to compound. It's not super expensive. Um, You do have to do it either intranasally or sublingually because if it if you take it as a pill, the stomach uh, acid will disintegrate it. So you have to do something to bypass the gut. And again, most of the time it's a trochee that's compounded or it's an intranasal spray. That's pretty effective. 
And it's got other benefits because it helps libido and positive connection with hum- other humans. And it helps with um, lean body mass and all kinds of other good things. So oxytocin is a great one. And then you can actually prescribe um, vasopressin in the real serious cases. I don't do that a lot, maybe 10% of the time, but for those who are getting up five, six times a night, it really does make a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, uh, the really great uh, pearl, because I agree, like I, you know, there's a small percentage that I end up giving, you know, desmopressin to, but I, I don't love doing that because, you know, yeah. just it can have side effects and all of that, but it, it can help, of course, when we need it. So I, I love this oxytocin idea. And I, I've noodled, you know, um, again, going back to uh, Dr. Dispenza's work, he talks a lot about in these meditations, you know, we have, you know, this part of the pituitary mm-hmm. activated and oxytocin. <laughs> that melatonin too, or um, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And then, you know, that there's like the pine, he does a lot of work with the pineal gland, but there's that pine, once that's kind of, you know, in a regulated state and in a coherent state, the, the signal also kind of um, supports the pituitary because of the proximity of the pineal and the pituitary. So, but one of these things, so the oxytocin floods our system. And then he talks about antidiuretic hormone actually flooding wow. the system. So our cells can hold a charge, you know? So, yeah. you know, so I, I, I keep on the, you know, I think about that from the flip side, oh my gosh, my patients can't hold this charge. They can't hold this energy you know, so how do we think about it, you know, from this other angle? Think about that. What you said earlier too, made me think about, you said the overwhelm, right? And I experienced this and anyone who's ever done this, but I wonder, I always wonder if, is the mold also creating way more overwhelm? Because now that I look back, I'm like, well, that wasn't that big a deal. But in the midst of the worst of the mold, I could only go to work go home, feed myself, go to bed. I didn't go out. I could like, everything was overwhelming and there's no doubt it creates part of that. So I wonder if some of the denial overwhelm that we might see in our patients is literally from the mold itself. Yeah. That's probably another um, clinical pearl, right? Exactly. Like we know you're overwhelmed. You don't know. So that's a really good point. Um, No. And thank you for sharing that oxytocin pearl. And so, you know, Joe, we were talking also, I mean, you have so much great information and I always share your blogs with my patients and they want to dive deeper into mold and, you know, mass cell and all of that. But recently, you know, you had this personal experience um, with, you know, the fires in Boulder and, you know, that obviously when I'm, you know, anything you want to share around that, but that also kind of connected you to this really, it's not way more commonplace than we ever would have thought. I mean, I live on the West coast and when I first moved out here, you know, forest fires were very rare, you know, but now we, we count on the season, you know, and I have a lot of patients in, you know, California and, and when we think about really how that's affecting us, um, I know that they even, have, I looked this up, I, I don't quote me in a statistics, but I, I know that the air pollution actually is a, it is a, definitely increases mortality, you know, with how detrimental it is to our health. And so any insights that you want to share about, you know, this, you know, this really imminent threat to a lot of us these days? Yeah. So I went uh, to, I'm like, okay, I want to learn just like mold and learn more. And Lynn Patrick and Louise Tolzman were two naturopathic docs that are amazing in this realm. They've done a lot of work. So I interviewed them a couple of weeks ago. It's on the YouTube if you want to watch that, but I learned a lot. So I'll tell you a little bit about what I learned. First of all, the ash and stuff from the fire. If you think about a house, there's tons of plastic. And nowadays like the, the, um, even the, um, back porch or anything that you build that typically could have been wood before is now often plastic. And so all those plastics and parabens and things that are burning in the sheds or in the, you know, garage, you might have chemicals or you might have glyphosate or fortunately, hopefully we don't have those, but it's super common. So think about combusting all of this 
horrendously toxic material into the air. And then the ash from the fire is so toxic. So like we were lucky. So the Marshall fires, what hit us on December 30th, it destroyed almost a thousand homes. And it was absolutely the worst national uh, or the worst wildfire in Colorado's history by far. I'm sure California's had some significant ones, but the difference about this was often they're in the foothills by kind of the mountains and the trees. This was in a residential. It's in my city of Louisville and Superior. Literally, I was telling you before this started, I was in Hawaii at the time writing and I watched from afar and all around my office was burning and I didn't see, I couldn't tell that it was standing. I went home thinking my office was probably going to be gone and thank goodness it's standing. It's unharmed, but literally every side has neighborhoods that are completely gone and right across the street, there's burned. It's just like, it's a miracle that my office is still there. Um, all that to say, though, the the um, air quality was horrendous, and it's full of things like tooling and benzene and acetaldehydes and um, gases and um, hydroxycarbons and dioxins and heavy metals. So a lot of the trees will sequester mercury and lead. And so when the trees burn, this gets into the air. And they showed, um, actually, Lynn gave me the statistic, after the 9-11, they tested New Yorkers, and the mercury level was statistically significant in how much higher it was for those who were around that area. So there's mercury and lead levels, tooling, benzene, a lot of these um, VOCs. And what happened for us was we had this massive fire and huge hurricane-like winds on like a weird 60 degree day in December. And then a day or so later, we had snow like six or eight inches, which was so good because it calmed everything down. And that snow damped down the ashes for the moment. But I expect that in the next six months or so, anytime it gets warm and then any of that fire damaged grasses area, it's just dirt now and debris. So we're going to have a lot of dust and all that dust is going to contain because any of these chemicals like VOCs, they tag onto a dust particle and they float around and they just, it's like free rides on the dust. And so we are going to have much more toxic air and anyone in your area who's had fires, same thing. So this is my new thing to learn and understand because we really need to figure out how to remediate. One thing I learned, you're going to love this, this, I didn't know until this week, um, mushrooms growing certain mushrooms, like oyster mushrooms on the soils will remediate a lot of the tooling, the benzene, the chemicals, some of the metals, they will actually sequester that. So I'm hopefully going to talk to a mushroom expert soon to get some more information on that. I thought that was fascinating. And then really they're recommending, you know, if we're going out and about anywhere near those fields of ashes to wear an N100, the respirator with charcoal filters, if you're outside right now, Christine, it's interesting. We've done so much work inside my office. We have five air filters. We've cleaned, we've fogged, we've, and it's really quite good inside, but I think our air quality inside is better than it is outside. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, thank you for all those pearls. And I, I love how the mushrooms can help rehabilitate the air. You know, I, I think that's amazing. And I, I just, you know, as you said, I'm, I'm so grateful that you are, you know, safe and your office is safe. And yeah. I, you know, I can't imagine the community, you know, what they're, you know, going through and um, how they're thinking about rebuilding. And it, it's not only that, but of course, you know, how do we, you know, take care of ourselves yeah. in the process. So I, I'm so glad you're in the community to share all this. And yeah. so, and I think we'll see, I talked to Mary Ackerley recently too, because they've had a lot of fires near her. She sees a lot of the Sears markers go up with the fires, not just so like TGF beta. So I'm going to be watching and seeing, but I won't be surprised because that's kind of this non-specific toxin marker. And I bet we'll see some of the toxin markers from the wildfires as well. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. So then I guess when we think about, you know, what we're up against right now, you know, with the mold, you know, we have, you know, the wildfires, you know, is there any other, you 
you know, thing on your mind that you want to share that you've seen within your own life or with your patients that really gives you, you know, really hope and the resilience that we all have, no matter what we're encountering? Because I, I think that's, you know, important. Like we can easily, I mean, you're so brilliant and there's so much to share, but I think some, you know, as we said, this can get depressing. It can get mm-hmm. pretty hopeless pretty quickly. So I, I would just like any inspirational thoughts as we wrap up. <laughs> what I found in my own life. I mean, I always joke, I have like nine lives and I'm on number 10. Um, yeah. Our bodies are so resilient. And just like you said, with Joe Dispenza work and some of that stuff, that's where it really, the future of functional and integrative medicine is the mind body connection, dealing with old trauma and healthy relationships and community. We know even say you have had trauma, the rehab, the real, real core is relationships with people, healthy relationships. And no matter pandemics or fires or loss of loved ones or loss of pets, I lost my dog last month. So there's all these things that happen. But when we have connections with friends and family and we maintain those close connections and we have authentic places where we can share and be real and be seen and be loved for who we are unconditionally, um, that is so powerful. And it'll overcome like that alone has healing power for detox and that I, I really credit a lot of my own healing and ability to be resilient with number one belief that um anything's possible. So I believe in miracles. I will say that out loud and I see them happen. And I think those of us who come into the world expecting good of others and Mm -hmm. expecting miracles, we actually get to see them and witness them because we expect that. And I just over and over get to see those things. Um, And I'm no different than you listening. So I'm not any more special. I'm not any different. I'm not any more privileged in the sense of we can all have that hope And then as far as there's so much conflict right now, and I believe the solution there is to really show unconditional love and try to seek to understand before we want to, because there's difference of opinions and it's okay, but we don't have to hate and we don't have to have this conflict. We can have mutual respect, even if someone is completely different from us or has a completely different view and truly extending that love for humanity um, and embracing people where they're at, even if their views different from us um, is so healing to our body into our minds, into our environment. And there's so much power in that community. So if we can really align, and again, we don't all have to agree, but we can still show love and kindness and compassion. And that's where the healing happens at that core is that connection with other people. So beautifully said, and I I couldn't agree more. And I think as, you know, we go through our journey and we learn this work and we learn what, what really heals people, you know, it sounds like, you know, as you said, kind of like Pollyanna or as a simplistic on some, we're really wired. The more that we extend love, the more that we extend gratitude, you know, science is catching up. We are actually, our physiology is wired to heal when we're in that state. And, you know, don't we even feel better? I mean, like we could, you know, every day we get to choose, you know, how we feel. And so it's like, you know, whatever your perspective. It's just, it's a kinder, gentler, happier path, you know, following this perspective. So no, I, I'm so glad you wove that into the conversation because still very much needed. We we can definitely. Oh, so, listening now, and I don't know, I yeah. mean, things have been difficult. Anyone I know, whether it's patients or friends or family or staff members, life has been really tough and it feels like hits are coming quicker and quicker, whether it's a loss of a loved one, a loss of a pet or a fire or a disaster or, uh, and everybody's experience or the pandemic or people sick. It's just, it is, this is real. So I'm not, I'm not saying this isn't real, but the way we view it really changes perspective. And when we, um, I know with, I've had so many different illnesses and things, but every time in the very beginning, I remember kind of learning the lesson in this suffering, there's something good. It's almost like searching for a pearl in the pile of charcoal, right? Mm-hmm. And and if you can have that mindset of, okay, this is hard and I can suffer and I can actually have 
sadness or pain and shed a tear, that's all okay. But inside that, if you can believe that there's something greater, there's a greater purpose, and that there's actually something beneficial to our soul's journey, that's where there becomes magic. Mm. Oh, I love that, Jill. Thank you for sharing your heart today with us. <laughs> I feel like we could leave it right there because I think you've given us so much. And I, you know, and again, as you said, I mean, you've walked the walk and you're speaking not only from a clinical experience, seeing walking others through this, but you're speaking from that deep experience. So I appreciate you sharing your heart and your story. And, you know, if people want to find out more about how to connect with you and your work or whatever projects you want to share that you're up to this year, um, feel free to share with the audience. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for all the work you're doing. I love connecting with you because it's just on that energetic level. It's just, we're so aligned and I love the work you're doing and love how you're getting all kinds of great information out. So I'm honored to be here. I just sent my manuscript into the publisher. So in August, hopefully my book will be out and it's a lot of my story. So it's, uh, I, I went from being kind of more of an educational to realizing, oh my gosh, I have to tell my story. So it'll be a little bit about all that, all of my journey. And then this last year, we've been working on a documentary, hopefully also by the fall to get that out. So I've been really busy, but all good. Um, you can find me at my website, jillcarnahan.com. Lots of free resources there. Um, and I would love for you to pop in on Instagram and say hello or follow me. It's just Dr. Jill Carnahan on Instagram. Awesome. Well, we'll have all that information in the show notes and thank you so much. I always enjoy connecting with you in these conversations and I'm sure we'll be doing this again soon when you get your book. I'd love to have you back on. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. You're so welcome. Love it. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Dr. Jill Carnahan. Please check out her website, jillcarnahan.com. And if you've been enjoying these podcasts, I would be so grateful if you would leave a review on iTunes. Have a beautiful day.